Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. Today's episode is all about data, but from a couple different points of view. The first part of the episode, Logan and I decided to sit down and do some research and talk about the case of the missing scrotal circumference. I'm sure a lot of you have noticed that that's not in the new EPDs. So I review some of the research on scrotal circumference and how it's related or not related to fertility. And then the second part of this episode is an interview with Cooper Grabenstein, who has a really interesting new app to help you track all of that data and to give you somewhere to put all of that data and better use it. This episode is sponsored by Philip Carpenter and PLC Farms down in Breckenridge, Missouri. PLC is committed to offering high quality homo and heterozygous black Herefords. As the home of Sea Miles Ahead and Red Killer, they've definitely got genetics worth looking at. You can chat with Philip about their program by giving him a call at 660-646-4794 or email him at pcfarm1, that's the number one, at gmail.com. The new EPDs were released at the end of the year, and for the most part, they seem to be what everyone was expecting. There's a lot of great aspects to the new program. You can't beat the weekly updates, that's for sure. But one missing EPD seems to have caught a lot of attention. SC, or the scrotal circumference EPD, is no longer available. It turns out that IGS will not calculate it for any of their breed partners. Red Angus has theirs done by Colorado State University, and Limousine brings theirs in from an outside source as well. I was so curious by the change that I asked on the Facebook page for people's thoughts. How much does the scrotal EPD really matter to you? Is this a problem? The majority of responders were concerned. The Black Hereford Association Executive Director jumped in and let me know that IGS does not believe that scrotal circumference is an economically relevant trait and that it's not correlated to daughter pregnancies. That was so contradictory to everything I've ever been taught or read that I decided to do some diving. And what I found is a mixed bag, but not as mixed as some might claim. I'm going to share with you what I've learned about SC and the role it plays in fertility. I brought Logan in to bounce ideas and thoughts off of as we discuss the research and its implications. I really can't wait to hear what you all think of it and your conclusions, though. Let's dig in. Okay, scrotal circumference. I guess where I'd want to start with you, Logan, is asking what your initial thoughts were when you first realized that it wasn't included in the new EPD system. Uh, My first immediate reaction was disappointment um i didn't realize that when we were looking at the uh beta runs and stuff that we were getting that it wasn't in the calculations um but on further inspection as we get into the research that we're about to talk about it may not be that big of a deal well i don't know 
I don't know that I'm ready to declare it a total nothing burger yet. <laughs> so let's kind of go over what I found as I was researching it. And I did a pretty deep dive. I spent a lot of time reading a lot of papers with lingo that I hadn't had to even think about since my college days. But this time I wasn't hungover, so I think it might have stuck a little better. So I think I'll start with the yes side because there definitely are kind of two camps on whether or not scrotal circumference matters to fertility or whether or not that score matters at all. And there's a lot more research and papers out there arguing yes. So some of the more important ones that I found, um, there was a peer-reviewed paper out there from the National Library of Medicine and Center for Biotechnology Information that reviewed using scrotal circumference as a selection for bull fertility. And it really was one of the deeper ones that I looked at. Not really like an extension paper like a lot of them are, but just a report of the data. And they cited three major studies that ranged all the way back to 1989 up through 2013 and decided that all of them found a moderate favorable genetic correlation between scrotal circumference and sperm motility. And then the 2013 study found that it was also highly correlated with sperm activity. Um, There's a bunch of other papers. There was an article by uh, DVM Roy Lewis in Western Producer Magazine in 2013. Um, And then he was backed up by a number of other papers that all agreed that scrotal circumference is highly heritable. And even the the naysayer papers all concede that scrotal is highly heritable, mm-hmm. which makes it an easy calculate, an easy, maybe not an easy calculation, but an easy one to consider for EPDs. In fact, it's more heritable than the carcass traits that we run EPDs for. And I don't know that that matters to whether or not it is correlated with fertility. Just kind of an interesting note. But he also talked about it being related to sperm motility and sperm production. There was another one um, done by Alabama A&M and Auburn Extension in 2021. It was one of the more recent ones that I found that correlated it to direct daily sperm production. So I want to focus on that for a minute and get your thoughts on the idea that scrotal circumference is in fact directly related to the motility and the production of the sperm in the bowl. Doesn't that mean that it absolutely is going to implicate the fertility of that bull? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's part of a breeding soundness exam that every breeders should be providing with the bulls that they sell and then only selling the bulls that qualify and and pass a BSE. I want to read a quote that I found from a University of Calgary professor and veterinarian, John, and I'm sure I'm butchering his last name, Castellic. And in 2020, he put out a paper and said, quote, If we are just producing feeder cattle, scrotal circumference is slightly less important. And if we could get by with a bull that barely meets minimum requirements, 
If we want to keep daughters, however, scrotal circumference is more important because it's an indication of the future fertility of those daughters. And the reason I wanted to read that is because it kind of jumps into the next aspect of scrotal circumference. So all the research I found says that, yes, it is directly correlated to the sperm of the bull. But the other side of that that you hear about a lot is the daughters and the way SC is related to those offspring daughters of that bull. And there's a lot of thought out there, and it's what you and I were taught in college. It's kind of the the standard accepted science, and that doesn't mean it's right. You know, there's a lot of accepted science that is later overturned. But it is kind of always been the standard that a bull, scrotal circumference, a bull with a solid scrotal is going to produce daughters that come into puberty earlier. Right. And thus have higher potential for reproduction. Right. That it come into puberty earlier and start cycling faster, but... Um, a lot of these studies show that not doesn't necessarily mean that they will become pregnant earlier because they might not have the other parts, uh, body condition score, the weight at uh, breeding time that they need to have to actually have a successful pregnancy. Well, and that kind of goes into an article that gets shared around a fair bit actually out of UNL Extension, University of Nebraska, 2017 article that was focused specifically on economically relevant traits. And, you know, that ties back into then what IGS was claiming that they just don't feel like scrotal circumference is an economically relevant trait. And that's what UNL was saying that, you know, it's commonly misunderstood and that while bulls with a larger larger scrotal will tend to have daughters that reach puberty earlier, that it's actually not correlated with overall heifer pregnancy. That just because they are cycling earlier doesn't mean that they are catching earlier. Um, they did note that that is the case in Bos Taurus, which is, you know, all of our European breeds but that there was actually some correlation in Boss Indicus, you know, your eared cows, which I just thought was interesting. It is, yeah. That that was a different take. Um, I also thought it was really interesting. When I first Googled it, you know, and started this dive, I had to work really hard to find the negative on it. Everything I found just said, absolutely, scrotal matters. Absolutely, it matters. I had to dig really hard. And the thing I could most commonly find early on was Wagyu readers, I guess, <laughs> feel very strongly that scrotal does not matter, which took me down another rabbit hole about the differences in breeds, that there really is a very big difference, actually, yeah. between what is an acceptable scrotal yeah. in bulls. And what makes a good breeder within a breed. Exactly. So limousines have small nuts. They just do, right? They average 32 to 33 inches. But they're centimeters. Woo, that would be big. <laughs> but they're known to have good semen, right? Like limousines are considered strong breeders. Whereas Angus and Scimitols are bigger and a 32-inch sack would be really concerning. I said inch again. That would be concerning, <laughs> but the other way. 
But a 32 centimeter sack would be, you would say that's too small. I don't know that that would even pass a BSE. You know, you'd be really concerned. It would as a yearling, but uh, getting into 18 month old bulls and two year old, two year old bulls that would not pass. No. So you have to wonder if that's part of the concern that IGS has with it. You know, they're by nature promoting a composite right. type of breed. So if you're bringing in scrotal numbers into a composite situation, it's harder to have a definite, this is a plus, this is a minus for a scrotal EPD. What right. are your thoughts on that? No, I think that's accurate. Um, almost all of the component breeds that IGS looks at have some measure of Angus mixed in with them, but then they're also providing EPDs on purebred stock, um, whether they're actual full bloods like some Simitols or Charlay or whatever it is they are, they're providing EPDs on those too. So they would not have a very good correlation for breed specific traits like that one. I would, I would think they would struggle with that and probably why they don't want to supply it. A workaround that some of the breed partner breeds have done is um, like Red Angus gets their scroll circumference CPDs uh, provided by Colorado State University. Um, Limousine, I don't know where they get it done, but it's separate. Um, and they all they publish those EPDs, but they're separate from IGS. So I did ask the association <clears throat> if they could provide me the science that IGS was citing saying it's not relevant and not an accurate EPD. And uh, Ernie did eventually get me that. And there were two papers that were cited. One was another one from the University of Nebraska, their extension from 2003. And I'm just going to read you kind of the bigger trait, bigger quote out of that that sums up what they were trying to say. The low estimates of maternal heritability indicate that variation due to maternal genetic effects is negligible for all the traits. No strong genetic correlations were detected between scrotal circumference and female reproductive traits or between age at puberty. Okay, and then the other one was a PubMed article from 2011 that really at the end of the day just kind of reminded us that there's really not selection for fertility in females based off of scrotal. That was kind of their takeaway as well. So after taking all of these different articles in, and what was interesting was that some of these articles were citing the same studies. It seems to be three major studies, the ones that I mentioned at the beginning going back from 1989 all the way up to 2013, a lot of these papers were citing those same studies, but different aspects of them. And so my key takeaway here was that we can say that, yes, scrotal circumference is going to have a direct impact on the fertility of that bull and that it's highly heritable. So any of his bull offspring will probably also be impacted by that scrotal circumference size. It should be, yes. But that... Whether or not that is then correlated to the fertility of his daughters is much more questionable. Right. Yeah. Um, that appears to be pretty well agreed upon for the most part. And in these articles, and like you said, they seem to pick the the studies that put all to put together all of the 
old data seem to pick and choose which parts they're going to publish, which parts they're going to ignore. Um, they don't really seem to compile everything and um, really sift through the entire data set that was provided to them. It's kind of interesting. So I guess, you know, when you start boiling this all down to does that mean the SCEPD really matters to me or not? The first question that I have to ask myself is, is it going to matter to my buyer? Is my bull buyer, whether or not the research is accurate or being interpreted accurately, whether or not we feel comfortable waving a flag and saying the SCEPD is all bunk, is my buyer going to expect to see that number on there? And if it's not on there, are they going to become uncomfortable with the purchase? So, Logan, you've purchased a lot of bulls over the years. Right. If you were looking at one that didn't have not a performance data number, not just the raw number, hopefully not in inches, <laughs> but didn't have the EPD, the specific scrotal circumference EPD, would you buy that bull or would you be concerned? If the bull had passed his BSE and he had, and if they had published the um, raw tape measurement, then I would probably still feel comfortable buying the bull. Um, if it's because an association doesn't provide that and doesn't provide that APD and but they're still publishing it, then yes, I, I would feel okay going ahead and moving forward with that. Um, and the reason for that is because it is known that scroll circumference is such a highly uh, heritable trait that the raw data, the raw score, whether it's uh, 38, 39, 40, whatever it is their sons will likely have a score similar to that. I agree. And I think that's a fair stance to take. It is going to mean that producers need to be even more cognizant of getting those scores and making sure that that data is available. Right. Because if your cattlemen are looking for that, just because the EPD isn't calculated for you, they're still going to be looking for that information. Most bull sales that you go to will have a supplement sheet from the um, BSEs performed by their vet prior to the sale. Because they usually happen after the catalogs are printed and sent out. And then the, what they do, the BSEs. So then they'll usually have a supplement sheet that has those scroll circumference and maybe some other weights and measurements on them provided to people at the sale. Um, if you can get it done, if like, if you're selling older bulls, like 18 monthers, two year old bulls, you know, go ahead and measure them a year. And then you can put that information in the catalog when they're, when they're ready to be published. And then there's your information. And like I was saying earlier, it's so highly heritable that that should suffice. I would think. Is a year the ideal time on that? Um, that's when it's supposed to be submitted to the association. Uh, for data collection uh, is right about the same time as you do it at the same time as you're taking the yearling weight. Okay. Well, I think it would still be interesting if the association explored how much of an added cost it would be. I'm, you know, I would just be curious. What is Red Angus paying 
Colorado State to calculate that. If it's crazy cost prohibitive, I don't know that it would be worth it as long as we're encouraging our breeders to still get that number in. That would be my big fear. We know that in this association, we have a data collection problem. So I I would worry a little bit that we're going to start to see a bunch of bulls that just have no numbers for scrotal. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't have to buy them. Right, exactly. And then those uh, people that aren't providing that information will be sorted out and by the marketplace. The customer is always right. Well, I really want to hear what other people think about this. It's been an interesting topic to mull over and research into. So head on over to the Chronicles page and tell me what your thoughts are on this. You know, the idea that it is so correlated to the fertility of that bull itself, but not the daughters. Well, doesn't that mean it still matters? But does the EPD itself matter or just the raw number? I want to hear your thoughts. This episode is also brought to you by Brennan Reader and Crazy R. Black Herefords out of La Junta, Colorado. Crazy R. features CACRZ America 813C, the first homo black and homo polled leader 918 bull in the ABHA. Crazy R. has some super solid looking yearling bulls available for purchase right now. You can check them out on their Facebook page by searching Crazy R. Black Herefords or head over to their website, Crazy R Black Herfords, all one word, dot com. I want to thank you all again for tuning back into the Black Herford Chronicles. Uh, we've been talking a lot in the last few months about data and the importance of collecting it and the importance of submitting it. And I know that I harp on that a lot. So with that in mind, I've got a guest today that is going to kind of talk about some of the ways that that can be even easier for you guys. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Cooper. Will you introduce yourself and just kind of tell us what your background in the cattle industry is? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Jennifer, thank you for having me. Um, yep, I'm Cooper Grabenstein, originally from South Central Nebraska, a little town called Smithfield. Uh, graduated high school from Bertrand, went to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, uh, studied agribusiness and finance. Uh, yeah, so always had... Um, an interest in the cattle business because I grew up with it. My folks ranch here in South Central Nebraska. Um, after graduating, I actually moved back. My folks bought a new place. So I had the opportunity to move into the house I grew up in, which was kind of nice. So I'm back here um, working for Cattle ID, which is what I'm going to tell you all about today. And then also helping my folks out on the ranch and um, in our feedlot as well. So grew up with it ever since I was a little kid. And it's it's definitely changed, but some things have also stayed the same. So so how'd you wind up with new stockyard group and cattle ID then? Yeah. So it just kind of fell into my lap a little bit. Um, I interned with first national bank of Omaha, um, when I was a senior in college, uh, I worked for their ag business department. I was thinking I was going to go into banking. Um, but then they fund this, um, startup company called new stockyard group. Um, and I had an opportunity to go full time with the credit team and I would have been in Omaha in a suit and tie every day underwriting loans, which would have been great but I chose to do this so I could travel, see ranchers and have the opportunity to move home. So um, the position kind of opened up right as I was graduating and um, just kind of getting up and running, I guess now. So yeah, I guess I just got lucky. So let's talk about cattle ID then. And just tell me about how that process came to be and what your app is really good for. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it started as an initiative in 2018, um, and we've pivoted a few times. I came full time in 2021, so it's been it's coming on two years that I've been part of the team. Um, basically, you know, the calf industry is underserved, especially in the realm of technology, and um, you know, some people don't keep enough data. Some people don't know what to do with it when they do keep it. What records are important? So we saw a way to service the cow calf industry and the cattle industry in general just by giving them a management tool to keep their records all in one spot and link it up with everyone on an operation, have the opportunity to share it when they sell their calves if they choose to. Um, yeah, and just kind of be able to see where their, you know, where is their herd stand to other herds as well. So you can't uh, you can't track or make adjustments to information you don't collect. So being able to have all that synced up with everyone so everyone knows what's going on and you can kind of just see how your operation is doing um you know from a distance scope to kind of see where you're at does that kind of make sense yeah so tell me what kind of data it is that you're even really looking at on there absolutely yep so it's uh any piece of data that you can collect for a registered operation or for a commercial operation so um Basically, you know, you can scan in registration papers, EID tags. Um, some people are scanning in their barcodes on DNA samples they're taking. For the commercial guys, just general information, whatever you want to keep. So obviously, there's standard, you know, birth date, sire dam, birth weight. And then there's three other spots to track weight with winning weight, yearling weight, current weight. There's a notes section. So anything that doesn't encompass, you know, something that we didn't have as a field, you can keep it in the notes. Um, there's like a custom group function. So you can put all your cattle into a specified group, you know, if they're depending on the age of the cow or the pasture they're going to um, basically anything else. So pretty much anything you want to track, we can track it within our app. Um, it's really simple to use. So it doesn't overwhelm you with a bunch of fields. So basically you kind of build it out custom as to how you want to use it. Um, and so, yeah, I mentioned it keeps individual records. There's also group level entries, which is my favorite function of it. So um if you vaccinate a group of calves or you change a group of heifers to cows, um, when you go through that process, you can just do that with a couple of clicks and it verifies, it timestamps the date that you did those actions. So you know when your cattle were vaccinated, uh, when your bulls became steer calves or or whatever. Um, and even things such as, you know, we're able to track rainfall um, like in our pastures to mark the date of rain and how much. Or, um, you know, if we moved a group of cows from one place to another. So that group level information is nice just to see like at a scale, okay, this group of calves, this is how they're doing. Or even when you go to wean, you can look at weights and stuff that way. So there's group level functionality with it also. Um, it, uh, it operates offline as well, which is something that um, we offer, which I think is very good. It's a um, huge benefit. You know, yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, in, er, even our pasture right at home here, we lose service pretty quick once, once we start going down in the bottom. So as long as you're logged in before you go, you can make, you know, you can still search and do everything as long as all those records are synced up. And then once you get back to service or Wi-Fi or whatever, everything just syncs and it, it syncs into everyone's devices. So you can, so everyone can kind of see what's going on. Well, I'll tell you as a seed stock producer, one of the things that I really like is that if I'm out in the field and I'm looking at that cow and I'm looking at her calf and thinking, wow, she had a bomb calf this year, or, you know, unhappily on the other side, like, wow, that calf really sucks. I can pull her up and I can see what her previous calves were. And that helps jog my memory. Has this been a regular thing? Is this a calf I need to really think about selling? It's time for that cow to go down the line. 
Or is she worth flushing because all these years she's putting out my top end calves and just to have all that while I'm out in the field thinking about it, because by the time I get home, I might have forgotten to dig into it. You know, that's really valuable. Yeah, no. And and that's one of my favorite things about it, too, is, you know, if once a cow has, let's say, five calves, you can look back. How did these calves wean and when did this cow calve all these years? To kind of be like, okay, yep, she's keeping right up. She's weaning the heavy calf or the opposite, like we talked about. But what you don't want to see is her start to calve later in some instances, or calves go downhill with their weights. So being able to pull back the historical data, you can mark them as non-active on your feed. So you can archive those calves once they're sold, but still pull their past records back up. And everything exports any piece of information that's ever been kept, exports into a spreadsheet um, that you can change around the rows and columns if you choose to, and it should upload in any other database. So if there's a mass uploader with a certain breed association or value add program, um, anything that you've entered gets exported. And so you can delete rows and columns if you don't need them or change them around. So everything should be able to be kept um, that way, which is nice. It, it, it enables people to, uh, to not handle the information as many times, just kind of a one-time handling. Once it's entered, it's there. Everyone sees it. You can export it if you choose to. Well, and that was something I wanted to make sure that we hit on was that exporting. So the Black Hereford Association uses digital beef. And I know that it is possible. You guys, the data exports as an Excel file, correct? Yep. So it's a CSV file, which can obviously be put into an Excel or Google Sheets or whatever. Right. So and then on our end, yeah, we just upload that straight into digital beef and it's done. So there's no sitting there and entering in that data field by field by field for every animal. It really makes the registration process much easier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, yeah, obviously you just have to make sure that the rows and columns line up with the database you're going into, which isn't, you know, isn't hard to do on a computer. No, once you've done it once, you're good. Yeah. Yep, yep. Absolutely. So I have to ask, the question, the obvious question that I think you probably get a lot. What makes this different from Cattle Max? Right. So, I mean, Cattle Max is a good product. It's been around for a long time. Um, and there's a reason for that. We have a lot of um, customers who've switched to us from Cattle Max. We have some people that use our system and Cattle Max. There are some people that have decided to stay with Cattle Max. So it really depends, um, you know, kind of what you're after. I would say, you know, the ability for ours to operate offline would be a huge advantage being able to, you know, instead of writing it down and risk losing the piece of paper and then entering into Cattle Max later. Um, and I guess, remind me, does Cattle Max go straight into the breed association? Uh, not for Black Herefords, it doesn't. There are some associations it does, but not for us. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I think, you know, being able to export anything that's been entered and kind of have that ready to go when you need to upload into another database, I think is an advantage. Um, yeah, I mentioned the offline, not having to record data twice. You do it once. It's sunk up. It's there. Um, and then I would say just um, just being able to have it, you know, mobile on your phone right there. And it's it's very, very simple to use. You know, we had, we got the feedback early on that a six-year-old rancher doesn't want to be on a cell phone. And I'm kind of old school. I'm in my 20s, but I don't want to be on my cell phone either. So we had to make it very simple to use in order to incentivize people to use it. And it's, so far, it's worked. It's really big buttons, really easy to click. If you only want to track certain fields in one day, you can turn the other fields off. Um, it's really easy to just kind of filter out, um, you know, for your day-to-day use, whatever you want to, however you want to run it things, basically. Well, I don't know what our main feed looks like compared to other people's, but we've got these handy graphs 
that come up on our home feed right now. And it's been really amusing because all calving season, I just kept complaining. We are getting hit with nothing but heifers. What is going on this year? It just feels like there are heifers everywhere. Where's the bull calves? And then when I sat back and pulled that up and looked at the chart, this, well, no, it just felt like that. It was good to have the reminder that no, we're actually pretty even. And so some of that feels a little frivolous. You know, how important is it to have a graph that shows, you know, male and female calves this year, but it it did actually make a difference for us to be able to see it right up front. Yeah, no, I feel like that's the story of every rancher. They start calving, and they're like, oh my gosh, we're having like all heifers. Um, I feel like I hear that like two out of every three years from my dad. So it's definitely a legitimate, uh, legitimate concern for people, but yeah. So yeah, there's a cap distribution that kind of shows as your cabin, you know, how many heifers and bulls you're having. It gives you like a running total of your herd count. So you can kind of look at total number of cows, um, bulls, heifers, steers, whatever, uh, breaks all that down. And then your inventory amount. So you can keep track of how many you've lost in a year. Heaven, you don't want that to happen, but obviously it does from time to time. Um, and then, you know, how many you've sold in a year, all those things pop up to the top. Um, and then there's a calf birth distribution as well. So it's kind of showing you, okay, one of the majority of my cows having, you know, what's our most common month, whatever's our two week span is typically the busiest. And then it also takes your, the weight of the calves being born and puts that in a distribution too. So you can kind of see, um, all right, our calves are lighter than typical or heavier or whatever. Um, and that's the thing about cattle ID. It's, it's baked and ready to go. You can use it today. But we push out an update, um, usually about monthly. So if we get a lot of feedback from producers saying we need to build something out, we can make those adjustments fairly quickly. Um, we have three full-time app developers. So that's what they do is they they develop the app and they make it better. So like these charts and um, distribution graphs, those weren't here, I think, a month and a half or two months ago. And now people are they're there and people really like them. So it's kind of ever-evolving. You just got to make sure that it's updated because if if we get enough feedback... Um, we'll go and build out what kind of people are wanting. And that's why we built it so simply. We didn't want to build thing, a build an app the way we wanted it to look and then find out that this isn't what the producer wants. We've been getting customer feedback from the start and trying to you know, build it the way they want it rather than what us sitting at our desk thinks we want. So, And ranchers think differently, believe it or not. So uh, everyone kind of has their own niche. <laughs> so as a seed stock producer... A lot of us struggle to keep up with timely and accurate data records. A lot of, you know, you look at Angus, who has pushed entirely into whole herd reporting, Herford's, you know, whole herd reporting all the way. And, you know, it's something that's being talked about within the Black Herford Association as well. So anything on the seed stock side that you feel like this really makes that job easier? Yeah, I would say just being able to keep things at an individual or a group level. Um, and you can do it so quick and it's saved and someone else can see it. So if, you know, mom, dad, brother, sister, hired man, whoever, everything's feeding into one spot, whether it's group or individual record. So if there's something that needs input or something needs done from the breed association or something you need to report on, you know, other people can kind of take the bull by the horns and do it because they're seeing it pop up to there too to their feed. Um, so I think that just having that ability to just have all the information in one spot and everyone's seeing it and viewing it, it's not just one person having to remember to do something. Um, everyone can kind of see the live feed of what's going on. Does that answer your question? 
Yeah. Well, and the groups have been really interesting for us to play around with as well. We raise both black Herefords and Angus. So we've talked about, okay, you know, right now we have them separated by breed into different groups, but we're kind of toying with the idea. Maybe we go with contemporary groups, you know, and, and make sure those are separated out right on the app. So there's a lot of options there to make it work for you. I also can't overstate the notes, just having that ability on those cows. I mean, you can put in, you know, did you flush her last year? What was your take on it? All of that kind of stuff that it's just right there. That way, when you have to make those decisions on the ground, you're in the corral and you're deciding, you can pull that out and have that information. You're not pulling out a folded sheet of paper from your pocket that's so scribbled on you can't read it. You're not running back up to the house and trying to print something or pull something up. It's right there. Yeah, no. And I think that's something I haven't touched on very heavily is the group function. So I guess a little backstory. It's funny that I'm on with Black Herefords. So both my grandfathers on both sides raised Herefords for forever, horned Herefords. Um, My one grandpa sold out in 2001. My other grandpa is still operating at 80 years old. And he switched to all Angus. And my folks, I think we're just now selling our the last of our Hereford cows this year. So we're all in Angus. and We've actually introduced Simmental. So it's kind of funny. It's the you know, two of the breeds that I've spent the most time around. Anyway, going back to the groups. Um, so we'll just take a March for, so my, my family has a production sale every March. Um, the last Tuesday in March, um, South of Lexington is where we hold the sale. And so when the calves are born, they immediately get entered into multiple groups at once. So let's say we have a March first bull calf. So he's in the March calf group. He's in the bull group. He's in the Angus bull group then the sire he's out of. So we know how many we've had out of that sire. And then he's also, we put him in the group of the pasture he's going to that summer. So within each of those groups, so we can see, okay, yep. We had a hundred calves in March. We had 55 Angus bull calves. We have 43 going to this pasture. <clears throat> if you cut in, in 12 out of this sire or whatever. So you can check your inventories in multiple ways. So you can kind of see, okay, this is how many we have of this, this, and this. Um, and you can build those groups out custom. Some people don't want their animals in groups at all. Um, me, us personally, we have so many groups just because we want to be able to see our inventories in different ways. So you can kind of build that out custom wherever you want. Some, um, one thing that'll come out with the next update, I don't know if I should speak on it or not, but instead of, you know, so we've got the feedback that people don't necessarily want to create a group for everything, which I guess makes sense. So now you can filter out and be like, I want to see March calves out of this sire boom and it'll put pull those 12 calves i was just talking about up so that's not out yet right now you have to create a group to put those animals in but in the future you should be able to just filter and then it pops up with the animals you're looking for if they fit the criteria of the of the filter that you put on so that's that's things coming down the line and i guess that's just an example of how we're just kind of ever ever evolving um ever evolving the app as time goes on so yep the the group level functionality is nice for the registered because yeah uh like Jennifer was saying, keeping keeping your registered and commercial animals in different groups. Um, some some people have wanted young cows, running age cows, broken mouth cows, put into three separate groups. Just being able to look at that and just be like, okay, wow, we have a lot more old cows than, than we thought we did. Um, because in a couple of years, a lot of things could change. So, well, and we know, you know, the reality is if you're going to be a seed stock producer, you had better be keeping data. It's what separates us from the commercial guys at the end of the day, right? That we can go back and say, we know 100%, these are our weights. 
this is our growth rate. This is what our animal can offer and bring to your herd. If you're not willing to do that, you probably shouldn't be in the seed stock game. And if it's something that you're having a hard time doing, this certainly makes it easier. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. It is, that is what separates, um, you know, registered from commercial. And we have both, you know, they're both, um, they're both great for different reasons. Um, there's, there's different stress levels associated with both too. And we can talk about that on a different podcast, but, um, no, but I yeah. agree. So we we came to this from commercial. We're fifth generation commercial cow calf. And I think that that actually makes us better seed stock breeders because we know what those bulls have to be able to do. It's not abstract for us at all. We know what's going to be expected. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, being able to, you know, at the end of the day, commercial breeder, they're they're producing beef. And it's kind of it's always good to remember the roots of why we produce cattle. At Absolutely. the end of the day, it's for, it's for beef. So. So if people are interested, if they want to check this thing out, what are their options? Yep. So we have a website, cattleidapp.com um, is a good place. Um, you could, or you can just Google new stockyard group or cattle ID. Um, it's in the Google and Apple stores. So you can, you know, download it on your tablet or device right now. We have a whitelist system. So um, you have to contact a member of our team and we will whitelist you to give you access to the app. Um, we did that just so, you know, as we're kind of getting things rolling, we just wanted to be able to see and have contact with everyone who's getting into the app so we can get feedback and build it out better. Um, so with that, that's the process currently. We're actually moving to where you can get into the app without our approval. And that'll come out here in the next, uh, I'm guessing, two to four weeks. So anyone can hop on. So if you can't get in, contact us. If you can get in, great. Because it, it's... Uh, coming pretty soon. So, um, yeah, I can leave my information with Jennifer, um, my phone number, email and everything. And you guys, yeah, by all means, feel free to reach out. Um, even if it's, you know, um, in the upcoming holidays, I don't know when this podcast will get, um, published, but even if it's, uh, you know, between Christmas and new year's or whatever, we'll be happy to take your phone call and help you set up. Um, something else to keep in mind, we've been entering people's herds for them. So that's something that, uh, we wanted to do some people have wanted to enter them on their own, which is great. Um, but we will enter all your records for them exactly how you want them entered. Um, and that's something to just, uh, uh, just to be better service, I guess, than other programs out there. Most programs don't do that. So that's something that we wanted to do that way people log in and they're good to go. They can start working with it. Well, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because that really leaves you no excuse. If you don't have a system currently do this because you're not even going to have to set it up. You know, you'll be able to pick it up and just roll with it. Yep. And we've, we've had several people that are very particular that wants us to change things. So we go back through, we change everything, which isn't my favorite thing to do in the world, but it's my job and it's, it's a good thing. I mean, you can build out this app kind of custom as to how you want to see it. And so, like we said earlier, everyone kind of has their, their certain traits they kind of hang their hat on or how they do things, how it flows in their mind. And we wanted to build an app that could encompass all those things. Well, I know I sound a little bit like I'm advertising for you guys at this point, but we have just been so pleased with it and really pleased with the responsiveness from you and your team. You know, as we've found things, we've thought, oh, this would be handy. You guys have been so quick to work those things into the app and make it as user-friendly as possible. And I think that matters a lot. No, yeah, we really appreciate that. Um, Over, let's see, I think two-thirds of our team comes from an ag background. so. I think that 
I mean, that's, that's just good. I mean, not, and we have people that didn't, weren't raised in an ag background and we love having them on our team just for a different perspective, but. I can't imagine um, you find many software developers that come from an ag background. That is correct. We do have a <laughs> software developer from Nebraska, which is awesome. So but is he, it he Omaha? Cause that doesn't count it, still. It, it is Omaha, <laughs> and, but he's, he's honestly learned so much. He's such a valuable asset. Cause I think he understands business and how huge the beef industry is not just in Nebraska, but in the Midwest and even other parts of the United States. So he's, uh, he's learned very quickly kind of how everything goes. And he's, he's definitely willing to admit like, you know, if he's wrong and some like, he wants our feedback constantly, like what does a rancher need? Not what does computer science guy need? What does a rancher need? So yeah, he's a super valuable asset to our team. Well, thank you so much, Cooper. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and kind of talk to us about what you guys have going and, and how it might work for our producers and our operators just to make that one aspect a little bit easier. So thank you. Yeah, nope. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Herford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.